Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. listening from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio it's friday august 9th 2013 this week episode 295 comes to you from studio d in central city pennsylvania my name is radio joe hughes and joining me in the studio at the controls is our new engineer jessica lawson good day jess she's not she's silent today we'll get her on we'll get her on next week she's Deep in thought over here. Also joining us from Studio C in Miss Keys Rocks is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hope you got on mute Cliff there. He's number nine. Great to be here and uh, thank the audience for listening. Great to have you, Cliff. Good to be back in the uh, in the Pittsburgh area for me. Joining us a little later for our roundup will be our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil. Today's segments include the IAQ radio trivia question. We've got a, a great interview today with Paul Zanowitz, attorney at law from the uh, uh, Fort, I'm sorry, Orlando, Florida area. And we're going to talk a little bit about a recent Florida Supreme Court case that says contractors are entitled to overhead and profit. And we're going to go into a lot more detail on that. We'll also, of course, have our halftime and then finish with the roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. <laughs> You can do it. Uh-oh. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. And I didn't change that recording yet, but Indoor Environment Connections is back. The newspaper for the IEQ industry, now online only at ieconnections.com. And we also want to make sure that uh, we have folks check out the IEQ Radio or IEQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust. Check it out. Check it out at ieqtraining.com. I'm tug-tied today here. What it is, Jess? Anyway, uh, let's let's turn it over to the Z-Man while I fix my tongue for the IEQ Radio trivia question. Good day, everyone. Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. Congratulations. To Andy Krozowski, Comcast Metal Products, 
Morris PA for yet again another win. He was first to identify Dr. J. W. Scott as the Australian scientist who in the 1950s suggested that microbial growth was dependent on water activity and not moisture content. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, August 9, 2013 has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their website at www.trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the Yale University graduate, sometimes referred to as the father of insurance regulation, who campaigned that insurance companies must maintain financial reserves. Back to you, Joe. All right. Today's guest is Paul Zenowitz. He's an attorney at law with Cohen and Batista in Winter Park, Florida. The focus of his practice is first-party property insurance claims. So he does a great deal of insurance work and a great deal of it within the disaster restoration industry. He also does other types of law, including personal injury, family, and criminal law. Mr. Zenowitz is a license is licensed to practice in all Florida state courts and the Middle District of the United States Circuit Court. He is also an active member of the Orange County Bar Association and the Florida Justice Association. We're going to talk today a little bit about a Florida Supreme Court ruling, and that was that contractors are entitled to overhead and profit. Amazing it had to go to the Supreme Court to get to this point, but good news for a lot of our contractors out there. I think we have some uh, music. Maybe. Maybe. There it is. <laughs> okay. Good one. All right. <laughs> Let's see if we've got Paul on the line. I didn't know it was that short. Paul, do we have you? Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, listen, we've got, um, you know, a lot of our listeners are disaster restoration contractors. And as I understand it, you're working with quite a few in the Florida area. Do you? Um, do you go outside of Florida, or is everything in the Florida area? Uh, everything is in the Florida area, but we are all over the state of Florida, from you know the very top of the state, Tallahassee, all the way down to you know we have some clients as far down as the Keys in Florida. So we are all over the state of Florida. And Florida's kind of like the epicenter for disaster restoration issues. And uh, there's been one, I guess, brewing. I wasn't aware that this was coming to um, the Florida Supreme Court. And the title of that was Trinidad versus Florida Peninsula Insurance Company. Can you tell us what was that dispute in this case? Maybe give us a little history of how we got to where we're at. Sure, absolutely. This was a, um, a fairly simple case that, that um, ended up getting... Uh, appealed to the District Court of Appeals and went to the Florida Supreme Court. Essentially, what was at issue here was the insured person, uh, Mr. Amado Trinidad, um, sued the insurance company uh, based on a, a, a damage to his home caused by a fire. Um, he hadn't made any sort of repairs to his house, but he was suing the insurance company uh, based on um, payment that should have been made uh, based on a replacement, uh, uh, a replacement provision of of a policy of an insurance policy, um, and what was really at issue here was the overhead and profit. 
the insurance company argued that since Mr. Trinidad had not uh, yet um, incurred any uh, overhead and profit, that he shouldn't be, um, the insurance company shouldn't be forced to pay that overhead and profit. And actually, the District Court of Appeals agreed with them that said that since the um, overhead and profit had not yet been incurred, then uh, the insurance company did not have to pay that. The uh, Merlin Law Group, who is another big insurance company or a big uh, uh, plaintiff's insurance firm down here, took it all the way to the Supreme Court um, of Florida, and they said, "Hey, you know, if if the homeowner is likely to." incur these overhead and profit costs, and we are operating under a replacement cost uh, insurance policy, then therefore the homeowner should be compensated um, under that policy for the overhead and profit because they're likely to incur those costs. Um, And the Supreme Court agreed with them, um, specifically stating the overhead and profit are included in replacement costs of a covered loss when the insured or the homeowner is reasonably likely to need a general contractor for repairs. No. I've, I've got a couple of questions, Paul, in, in regards to this particular claim. Was it Mr. Trinidad's intent to act as his own general contractor on this project and subcontract all the repairs, or did he plan to use a general contractor to handle the project? Well, the plan was, I, I, I presume, and again, I wasn't the attorney that handled this case, uh, but I presume that he was planning on using a general contractor. Uh, but I don't specifically know, based on the factual information provided by the Supreme Court information or the Supreme Court case. Um, but with that said, it shouldn't really make a difference whether or not he was acting as, as his own GC or whether or not um, he planned on hiring a GC because under the language of the policy, he should be paid the replacement value of the, uh, of the loss. Um, and, and, and it really makes no difference whether or not he, he had the work done by a general contractor or if he did the work himself, he should be indemnified or, 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 or paid the replacement value. So, um, and I think that was Z-Man who asked that question. I don't specifically know... Um, what Mr. Trinidad was doing, I do know that he hadn't done any work at the point that the, in 2008 when the original lawsuit was filed. You know, one of the you know we we talk about myths, and I think this 10% profit and 10% overhead is one of these myths that, and you know we'll talk more about that later. But another one of these myths is that policyholders were forbidden, or it was somehow illegal, uh, or forbidden for them to actually make a profit uh, on their own claim. And I think you're telling me that that's not correct. Well, you know, as far as making a profit on the claim, you have to be very careful when you say that because, you know, that's when you start talking about fraud. And that's in, in a very gray area. But with that said, the, the policy itself is supposed to put you in the, the pre-loss position um, under a replacement cost policy. It's supposed to put you in a, uh, the, the pre-loss position um, had, the, had the loss not occurred. So whether or not you get your property fixed is not the question. The question is, how are they going to put you in the pre-loss condition? Uh, and whether or not you get, you get the house fixed at all. 
that shouldn't be that shouldn't that shouldn't necessarily be relevant. Um, they just need to pay you the amount of money that it would cost to put um, the property in the pre-loss condition. As far as making money off the claim, you know, if if you need a general contractor and it's going to cost X amount of dollars to um, hire a general contractor, including overhead profit, then they should pay you that, that amount of money. Now, if you, if you take that money and go spend it somewhere else or just knock down the house, that you're essentially getting paid or profiting, quote-unquote, for the um, for the amount of the repairs, but, um, you know, you, you shouldn't necessarily profit. I mean, if, 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 if a contractor comes in and says it's going to cost $10,000 and then the insurance company says, um, we will pay you $15,000, you know, you're, you're in a kind of gray area. And, you know, as an attorney, I would never uh, advise, um, lying or, or making misrepresentations to, to an insurance company my advice is always to be honest with them because there's no controversy in, in, in truth. There's only controversy in lies. Um, but with that said, if, you, if, if, if the insurance company says it's, it's a $15,000 loss and you find a contractor that's going to do it for 10000 after they've already um, made the payment, I don't know of any specific law that says that you can't keep that, the, the, the uh, extra five thousand dollars that they paid. It's the same as you know with with a, with a car insurance policy. Um, so you know, I'm I'm very leery of saying that um, a homeowner should profit on, on or can profit on these types of losses because you know really under the insurance contract it should put you in the position had you uh, you would be had the loss not occurred. And if you could get the, the loss um, and paid for, uh, or if you could get the loss uh, um, remedied or fixed for less than they paid you out, I, I don't know of any sort of provision in an insurance policy that says you've got to give back the difference. Right. Well, you know, there, there are certain people that feel they're capable of building a home themselves and you know, they may have never done it before but they buy a piece of property and you know they get plans from uh, or they buy a set of plans or they hire an architect and they get some plans and you know it's it's you know I would say it's unusual but uh, there are certainly uh, a good number of people who can act as a general contractor and you know who who you know who can do that and there are also people that uh, maybe in the general contracting business or maybe in a trade, and these people also suffer water losses and, and, and fire losses. So, um, uh, I, you know, I, I just wanted to clear that up. So what it, why is this ruling important to insurance repair contractors? What's different now? Well, I mean, we, we, you guys kind of alluded to it in, in, um, a few minutes ago when you were talking about this myth, this myth of overhead and profit, this myth of 10 and 10. In Florida, and I can't speak about other states um, around the country, but in Florida there was always this myth that said in order to recover overhead and profit, uh, the general contractor had to employ three trades. And we hear it over and over and over again from you know our clients who are generally co- general contractors or you know water remediation or water restoration clients um, that you know we don't charge overhead and profit because we're number one we're not a GC and number two um, we're not employing three trades. Now my 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 instinct tells me that 
um, that particular um, myth was perpetuated by the insurance company because I used to always, my retort was always, show me a law, show me a statute that says you have to be a GC plus employee three trades in order to recover uh, overhead and profit. Um, and nobody could ever do that. There was there were some cases on point um, that said just the opposite, that there, there was no um, requirement that there had to be three three trades employed. Here, what the Supreme Court did is totally nullify that myth. They said the overhead and profit are included in the replacement costs when the insured is likely reasonably likely to need a general contractor. So what it does is it dispels that myth and puts us in a position that says, Contractors, every time, if, if they're operating under a replacement cost um, insurance policy, every time they're entitled to um, 10 and 10 in Florida. And I know other states have different uh, percentages that they use for O&P, but um, it just kind of dispels the myth, number one, and just puts them in a better position to, to put them being general contractors in a better position to um, – charge overhead and profit without worrying about whether or not an insurance company has to pay that. We have a case law from the, or from the highest court in the state of Florida that says, yes, so long as you need or reasonably uh, need a general contractor in order to um, do the work, uh, you're, the general contractor is entitled to overhead and profit of 10 and 10. You know, some states have general contractors licensing and some states do not. Uh, the state of Pennsylvania recently started doing it. I would say it's been within the past 10 years. And I can also tell you, having been a restoration contractor for many, many years, going back into this industry, about 40, uh, I can tell you that this free trade business uh, also is newer. Uh, you know, it certainly didn't occur before, but again, it was one of those newer myths, I guess, that uh, you know, that was created. So what common mistakes do insurance repair contractors make uh, which can have an adverse effect on, on their being paid? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think number one is, is the contracts that they're using. Um, we have a specific group of contracts that we provide, including an assignment of benefits, a direction to pay, and a contract for services that my specific law firm has, has um, prepared that we think puts contractors in Florida in the best position to get paid. So number one, I would say um, your contracts or what you're using as far as giving to the homeowner insured and what you're preparing uh, to give to the insurance company. Number two, I think, is documentation of the job. Um, what, what we find often is that uh, some of our clients don't take um, enough pictures, don't have the technology um, available to um, really prepare, put themselves in the best position to get paid from the insurance company. So number one, contracts. Number two, documentation of the job. And I'd say number three is communication with the insurance company. One of the, the biggest pitfalls I run into is insurance companies um, almost always say, well, we never received notice from your, uh, from your client, from the, from the restoration uh, company and or general contractor. The, the, they never put us on notice that um, they had taken or been assigned a portion of the um, claim. So, you know, if, as far as my position goes, number one, you know, the contracts are, are, are very, very important or whatever the documentation that they're using. Number two is documenting the job, taking enough pictures, making sure that you're 
you have uh, the, the the proper equipment to to put yourself in a position to um, uh, contest the insurance company. And number three is in communication with the insurance company. Okay, can I Good. can I jump in for a second here, Cliff? Sure. Yeah, please. All right. Let me let me go back just one step, Paul, um, because I have a question that came in before the show when one of our listeners and a friend in Massachusetts. Massachusetts asked a question. Uh, let's start with this, though. Did Mr. Um, Trinidad have to pay for all this legal help to go to the Supreme Court of Florida? Well, in, in, interestingly, in Florida, I don't, I don't specifically know, you know, what Mr. Trinidad paid or did not pay because, again, I didn't represent him specifically. But in Florida, there's a uh, a statute, Florida Statute six two seven. Point four two eight. It says essentially, if if a homeowner or a omnibus insured that would be an assign an assignee um, or some other named party uh, in the contract has to sue an insurance company and they win, the insurance company has to pay the attorney's fees. So my my inclination tells me Mr. Trinidad probably did not have to pay his insurance or pay his attorneys because of that specific statute in Florida. I know there's several other states who have this sort of fee-shifting provision, um, you know, and I can't speak on those specific terms, but pursuant to Florida Statute 627428, Florida is, uh, and that's probably one of the reasons that Florida is always on the cutting edge of these insurance claims, is that there's consumer protection laws set up so that if it's big, bad insurance company um, is is denying claims that the homeowner and or uh, somebody who's entitled to payment can sue the insurance company. Insurance company has to pay those attorneys' fees and costs. Okay, so I, and I I kind of assume you you didn't know for sure if he you know put the money up front or I mean do is there a chance? Let's put it that way. Is there a chance that the attorneys representing him did it on contingency to kind of set a standard or a precedent? Yeah, I think I think more than likely that's exactly what happened. I think that, uh, you know, just based on this provision, you know, or this 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 statute in Florida, um, insurance claims are are a big business here. You know, and, and we have, um, like you guys said in the beginning of the show, I mean, it's kind of the epicenter of of, of weather disasters, et cetera. And I think that's the reason why the legislature uh, initially enacted um, that that particular statute again going back to whether or not mr trinidad um had to pay up front i would think more it's more likely than not that he did not have to pay anything um up front and you know this had to go through three courts you know it had to go through the trial court to the to the first level of appeals to the supreme court and more than likely this particular law firm that handled this um, was trying to set a precedent because of this this issue that we've always had with overhead and profit and insurance companies withholding. Okay, and now the follow-up to that is, how does this affect our listeners in other parts of the country? In particular, I got the question from Massachusetts. Um, this is a precedent established in Florida. How well does that hold up in other parts of the country? Well, that just depends. Um, you know, I've I've been told we've we've been kind of on a, my firm's been on kind of a media flurry since this whole uh, uh, 
decision came out, you know, we we are looked at a lot as one of the, the leaders at Colin Batisti in these insurance claims, and, and, and several media outlets have contacted us. Um, specifically, you know, I don't know how this is going to affect other states, but I can tell you that with this whole media frenzy that we've had, I've been told by various national outlets that Florida is kind of on the cutting edge of these 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 decisions and many states kind of follow suit from Florida. They wait to see what Florida does. They wait to see what Colorado does. I've heard Pennsylvania is a big one. They wait to see what these other states do. And then if there isn't any sort of case law on point, um, they take the case law from these other states and they say, well, we don't have anything on point, but we could tell you what Florida is doing and what Florida Supreme Court has decided. You know, and, and I don't know how that's going to impact uh, Massachusetts specifically because I don't, um, I don't practice there. But with that said, I don't think that it, it could have a negative impact at all. Um, I think that if anything, it, it can only um, positively impact you because even though this this decision may not be binding in other states, it's certainly persuasive. When the highest court in in the state of Florida, which, like I said, is on the cutting edge of these these sort of insurance decisions, makes a decision that says. Um, contractors are entitled to overhead and profits so long as they're going to need a, a general contractor. I think that that says a lot, and it's very persuasive to um, other states who, who who don't have any case law on point on this or don't have any statute regulating this. It seems it would give the, the attorneys and the disaster restoration companies and other contractors more of a reason to go ahead and, and push the issue. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this when the dominoes start falling, they got to start falling somewhere. And um, I think that you know, ten and ten is not unreasonable. You know, we were talking before the show. Me and Z-Man were talking before the show. You know, I used to own a pizzeria in Michigan or a portion of a pizzeria, and and you know, I was shocked. You know, we used to make two thousand or three thousand percent profit on every pizza we sold. And I was shocked when, when I started practicing law, specifically working for Harvey and Colin Batisti, that, you know, they were fighting over 10%. 10% seems like an awful low number, 20% essentially, um, to make profit uh, or, you know, to, to build that profit into your, in, into your invoices and estimates. Um, it's the only industry that I know of where, you know, you're limited to a specific percentage. You know, you know I, I think that if you're the best contractor in the state, and everybody knows that, you should be able to charge a little bit more. You know, you should, and I think that just makes sense. You know, the, we talk about, you know, this country being a, um, a, a capitalistic society, and, and that's kind of the basis of, of capitalism, that, you know, you have a product and, and you charge whatever, whatever you think is necessary. And by no means do I think that, that um, contractors should just, you know, charge insurance companies whatever they think. That, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I think uh, if you're doing a good job, if you're if you're doing good work uh, perpetually, and you've been doing it for years and years and years, absolutely, you should be able to charge a little bit more because you're better at it than other people, um, and you're, you're you're probably better than the the preferred vendors of the insurance companies. You know, I, I think the big issue really is not the profit. 
I believe the big issue is is the overhead. And, you know, when insurance companies somehow in look in a crystal ball and they say that every disaster restoration contractor's overhead uh, is 10% or less, I, I mean, they're, they're crazy. When you look at the, you know, there are people that just clean carpet. They're, they're driving around with a truck, uh, you know, equipped to do that to sixty to $75,000. And a restoration company, you know, may have 10 trucks like that and then hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of drying equipment and, you know, a physical plant in order to, you know, to store and process the contents. I mean, the overheads are, are just huge. And I don't think people would complain if I could net 10%. That probably is okay. It's it's the overhead is is really where I think people get into uh, to trouble. And I think oftentimes what happens, and, and there's a case uh, in in Denver, Colorado, where a fellow by the name of Michael Griggs, who who I knew uh, or or know, uh, actually uh, was convicted of defrauding uh, insurance companies and. Yeah, you know, this person sentenced to jail, and you know you wonder why he had to do what he did. And you know, and, Cliff, is that common around the country? The ten and ten, you're you're in a, you know you're very you know, ab- absolutely. And and what happens is you know you have all these different you have all these different ways of doing it. Like you know, let's just talk about the math for a minute. You know, typically what you would do is take the ten percent overhead first and then take 10% on top of that. And if you did that, it would work out to 21% instead of 20. Okay, so you're actually getting 10% on, a 10% markup on the first 10%. So that's how you would get to this 21%. But the it's just not enough money to work on. I mean, the costs are just much higher than that. And in the Griggs case, you know, what happened was he had subcontractors provide him with bills and uh, the bill said one thing and Michael took a discount and uh, he turned in the bills to the insurance company and he took these discounts and uh, they investigated and dug into these files and so on and so forth and then found them guilty of fraud but I don't know that he's doing something different than uh, other contractors do all over the country. I mean, it was standard that you know we we needed more than a ten percent markup, particularly when insurance companies are going to string you out for ninety, one hundred and twenty, hundred and eighty days before they pay you. Let me go. I mean, before we go to halftime, Cliff, and and I'm sorry, Paul. Did you want to follow up on that? No, I mean, I was just listening to you guys, and I, you know, I don't. I, I was. Uh, I had heard of the Michael Griggs case, but I, you know, I don't know a whole lot about it, but. You know my my uh, my instinct says you, you know you, you don't. It's never good to mislead an insurance company, and I think that's what got Mr. Griggs into into trouble. I don't know him personally. I've I've, I've never heard him speak, but I, I certainly can um, empathize with this situation because I I know that these insurance companies are cutting bills. But with that being said, I would never advise any of my clients to to mislead or, or defraud an insurance company because, you know, there, there's other ways to go around or go about it as far as you know just just making sure that you're dotting your eyes and crossing your t's and using the proper contracts and communicating properly and documenting the job properly. So, um, you know, it's 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 certainly unfortunate, um, especially when when guys like this are um, seemingly 
decent people that just make some poor decisions that, I mean, this is going to affect Mr. Griggs for, I think he's in, got a 10-year sentence. So, right. Um, right. Uh, you know, one, one final comment, Joe, before halftime. And, you know, knowing Michael, I mean, he's someone that has a very strong personality. And, uh, you know, I'm not uh, condoning what he did. Uh, the, the the difference is probably the manner in which he did it, because, I mean, he was a person that could be in your face and aggressive, and you always know knew what he thought, and he really didn't care about, you know, people's feelings or, or whatever. I mean, he was kind of a gruff, in-your-face kind of person. And, you know, if, if uh, you know, you just wonder if he didn't ruffle the wrong set of feathers, and that's kind of what, what started it. But sure. in any event, uh, let's go to halftime, Joe. Okay, and when we come back, I've got one more question on that topic, and then uh, we'll move forward. I, I, what we'd like to do is go to our halftime. We're having a great discussion here with Paul Jenowitz of the, the uh, Cohen and Batiste, I think I was pronouncing that wrong, Paul, um, in uh, Winter Park, Florida. We're talking about a recent uh, case in Florida Supreme Court where uh, Trinidad versus Florida Peninsula Insurance Company, it was found that uh, general contractors are entitled to overhead and profits. So interesting first half. We're going to take a 90-second break, come back with the second half with our guest. Thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, we're back for the second half of our interview with Paul Zenowitz. He's an attorney at law down in Florida. We're talking about a recent Florida Supreme Court decision. Paul, I have a question, and actually this maybe is Cliff and you, but let's let's go to Cliff first, and, and then maybe you could comment on it. I've always... You know, I, I watch the insurance and the disaster restoration issue, and, and Cliff, you know, these guys do make pretty good money on the rental of their equipment, okay? At least 
That's the impression I get. You're charging, you know, $25, $35, $45 a day for certain pieces of equipment. Seems like the payback is pretty, pretty rapid on some of those pieces of equipment. Is the, do you think the profit and overhead, one of the defenses of the insurance company is, is that the profit and overhead is built into those rental rates or am I way off base on that? Well, I I think insurance companies are going to differ. And I think oftentimes uh, if you were doing that work yourself, you might not show profit and overhead on it. Um, you know, where you might show profit and overhead is in the event that you did not have specialty equipment for the job or did not have the right equipment or enough equipment and you needed to rent the equipment from, you know, from someone else. Joe, you know, the issue is that, you know, when an insurance company will not permit a contractor to make a fair profit legally, do they have any other alternative than making it illegally? Sure, sure. And, you know, I, I think what happens is there's, there's this big myth that, you know, uh, insurance restoration contractors, particularly in construction work, that they're working on 10% profit and 10% overhead, and they're not. You know, the, it, it's, it's the, the overhead is, is, is where the problem comes in, more than in the profit. Okay. Paul, anything you want to add? Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd piggyback off Z-Man just to, you know, and I'd go to the... the um, definition of overhead with an exact exactimate which says the overhead is additional expenses not charged directly um or, or attributed to the work being performed and you know i i 100 percent agree with cliff that you know this overhead i mean it's a, it's a big problem i mean as far as yes yes they are making a profit on on each on, on each line item but there's additional profit that they that should be built in that they should be making for for costs, um, overhead costs that aren't attributed to that job, because when you look at Xactimate, which is the um, the software that most of the contractors use here in Florida, you know each line item is the profit or the overhead and profit is, is specifically attributed to that job, and and this particular ten percent for that overhead is the is being charged. For the for the portion of the overhead that isn't directly attributed to the job, like you said, you know, maintaining the fleet of vans, uh, paying your phone bills, you know, duh, uh, um, you know, renting your office space, yeah, okay. uh, paying for your computers, your computer paper, your 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 printers, your fax machines, your cell phones, etc. You can't attribute those overhead costs specifically to the job. Um, so I think that absolutely, that's uh, Joe, what you were saying, the insurance companies absolutely prior to this specific Trinidad decision, that's exactly what they were saying. Well, how can you charge overhead and profit when it's already built into the cost? Well, that's why, because you have specific overhead costs that you can't attribute to that specific job. And I think that, you know, not the, the Supreme Court didn't specifically say that in the case, but, you know, I think that that's, that's, that's precisely the reason why they ruled the way they did. I see. Well, that helps a lot. Cliff, did you have another follow-up on that? Well, you know, again, I think contractors probably, you know, I think a lot of times they're going to, they probably need to make about a 40% profit, 40 to 50% in, in order to, uh, you know, in order to stay in business. And I think what happens is there's a certain amount that you're allowed to show, which is 21% or, you know, whatever the insurance company allows you to show on the invoices. And then you need to make this other money, 
internally or you're, or you're going to go out of business unless all you do is uh, rental equipment or, or something like that. But, you know, when you've got these people, uh, you know, when you're paying subcontractors, uh, you know, what, what's unique about the insurance restoration business is it, it's one of the only businesses where the customer uh, determines the price. You know, the insurance company tells you what you're allowed to charge, and they give you the price list, and they say, essentially, this is what we're going to pay. It's not, you know, I had to fill my gas uh, fill my car up with fuel this morning. It's not like I went to the gas station and said, yeah, I want to pay you uh, $2.59 a gallon, not $3.69 a gallon. But, uh, you know, and it, it's it's tough, you know, when people that don't know a whole lot about your business are really controlling your profit and your destiny. Paul, Absolutely. I, I, I entirely agree with Cliff on that. I wonder, Paul, if um, you could comment on how similar or dissimilar things are with respect to insurance payments, profit and overhead for, for instance, people who do auto repair, auto body repair after accidents. Do you have the similar kind of issue there? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I can only make a general statement, but uh, yeah, I would say that, you know, insurance companies are in business to, to make money just like the contractors are just like the disaster recovery, uh, um, businesses are and you know part of what they do or, or part of what we generally see is them undercutting whatever the estimate is um and and you know again we'll go back to this ten thousand dollars estimate because it's a nice round number i mean i would say nine out of ten times if, if you know our contractor says it's going to be ten thousand dollars the the preferred vendor or the 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 third party adjuster the actual outside adjuster from the insurance company who goes out there nine out of ten times they're going to say it costs seven thousand dollars just because again they are in business to make money and whether or not they legitimately think it costs ten thousand dollars or they legitimately think it costs seven thousand um, dollars you know they're going to do what's best for the people they work for. And, um, you know, whether it's auto body or, you know, uh, disaster restoration, recovery, um, you know, we, we, we all work for somebody to a certain extent. And, you know, their interest is in protecting the people they work for. And, and whether, you know, like I said, whether it's a, a, the um, auto body and or, you know, di, you know um, restoration, um, you see it across the board. You know, you do see it across the board, and I work with you know, homeowners contracts, auto contracts, um, insurance contracts. Um, it, it's just the overwhelming um, trend among insurance companies, and that's just kind of what they do. Now, Paul, let me let me follow with another question. Um, now we have this decision. I assume this means, and correct me if I'm wrong, anybody doing this type of work is going to be able to add the 10 and 10 regardless of whether there's three contractors. It's, it's decided. There's no, no uh, way for the insurance companies to come back on this. Uh, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but the follow-up is ultimately someone's going to pay for this. Is this. Does this mean we're going to see higher homeowners insurance rates in Florida as well? More than likely, yeah. I mean, who's going to bear the brunt of, of you know, of these ins- these these higher costs? I mean, I would think that inevitably it generally falls on the consumer. Now, with that said, I think there's other ways to, to, to keep it off the consumer. But um, I'll leave politics aside. But I think these, these uh, 
um, you know, these executives for the insurance companies are are making ridiculous amounts of money. Um, and I think possibly cutting their salaries would be the, the appropriate thing to do instead of um, imposing this sort of burden on the, on the homeowners or policyholders. But yeah, I think inevitably, since the executives aren't going to take a pay cut, I think inevitably it will fall on the, uh, the, the, the policyholders. And that's a problem. And that's why it's important to get homeowners and policy policyholders involved, because I see it over and over and over again where uh, insurance companies will kind of um, try to trick these these policyholders or, or pin these policyholders against the contractor when it's not the contractor. The contractor is going in there and they're typing some numbers into Xactimate or whatever sort of uh, system that they use, um, and then they're coming in here and saying, you know, these contractors are inflating the price. They're inflating the price. Well, you know, I don't know the the Xactimate as much as um, my clients do because I'm not working with it every day, but I do know it a little bit, um, and and I know that to to a large extent, you're just typing in some numbers. You're t- you're saying how how big this room is. You're not you're not generating the price. You're not inflating the price. Certainly, um, you're you're typing in the size of the room and you're you're putting in the dimensions, et cetera, and and Xactimate is spitting out a price. So, you, you, I mean. I, yeah, I mean, I think that inevitably um, it's it's going to fall on the insurance company. Yeah, and the consumers are going to end up paying. I'm curious, will that have to pass, say, the Florida Department of Insurance or something like that? Probably, yes. Um, you know, insurance rate hikes are, are generally regulated by Department of Financial Services, DFS, in Florida. So, yeah, to a certain extent, but... Let's not forget that the biggest insurer in the state of Florida is Citizens, which is a um, par- at least partially owned by the state of, of, of Florida. So um, they've got a lot of pull to get the things done huh. that they want to get done. That's interesting. Cliff? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, is it legal for insurance companies to seemingly indiscriminately reduce contractors' bills for emergency services and, and or repairs? You know, the general answer is no. I mean, they can't. They can't um, just reduce the contractor's bill. Generally, uh, you know, the the standard homeowner's policy says that the the, the homeowner is entitled to the reasonable cost of, re- of the repair and or replacement, depending if you have a repair or replacement policy. Um, but with that said, there's not a specific rule on point or a specific statute on point that says they can't. So is it is it legal for them to do it? Um, you know, I don't think so. It's a, I think they're breaching the contract, and that's exactly where, you know, you have an attorney step in and say, uh, you know, we don't think it's reasonable that you're cutting the cost. You know, you're, t- you're taking a $10,000 estimate and you're paying $7,000. But that's where the proper, where it's, why it's important to have um, a, a law firm that, that handles insurance claims talk to you beforehand you know there are ways to get around that you know by saying hey we'll we'll, we'll take your seven thousand dollars as an undisputed payment but just know that we still think you owe us three thousand dollars and then you know presuming that you have some sort of standing to bring a lawsuit you do that because again as long as you're not doing anything unlawful on the contractor side our position is is always that the that the 
whatever the contractor charges is the reasonable price because again we're basing it off a standard system exactimate which as far as I know was was um, introduced by the insurance companies as a way to kind of standardize this but interestingly enough we find that a lot of these third party uh, administrators administrators and these third party uh, uh, adjusters that go out there those are the guys who are sent by the insurance company who don't use exactimate so it's funny that you know, the, 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 the kind of we've changed positions here as far as what, what we're using. We're, we're trying to do the right thing. And You know, one of the things that will happen, too, is, you know, insurance companies have these preferred vendor programs. And, you know, what comes with that is, is a lot of volume. You know, you're going to get, as a contractor, a lot of work. And, you know, based upon that work, you're willing to give some sort of preferred pricing. But if a policyholder has a loss and they choose a contractor who is not involved in a preferred contracting program, you know, a lot of times the insurance company is going to get get him to try to accept, well, we'll only pay this, and, you know, that's what we pay our preferred contractors. And that that may be fine because the preferred contractors get this added volume. But if this is the, the one and only time or one of the few times that uh, the policyholder's choice of contractor is going to work on a particular claim, then they should be able to charge a reasonable price to do it, not some sort of discounted price based on high volume. Yeah, and I agree. I agree. And, and, and just by its very nature, there's a conflict of interest there in that, you know, the person who's paying you is is the one you're doing the, the, the estimate for. I think that's inherently... Uh, inherently wrong because of course if the person who you're working for asks you to do an estimate you're you're going to say okay well it falls on the lower end you know this this job could cost between 10 and 15,000 um the 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 third party vendor who's been paid by the insurance company of course they're going to fall on the low end of $10,000 because if they don't if they fall on the high end the insurance company's not going to send them any more work um and that's something we see over and over again you know, there's another issue that I've heard about and I want to ask about is that, you know, homeowners have suffered, say, a property damage. And this is especially, at the timing on this is especially important because um, a lot of people are underwater. A lot of people are behind on their mortgage payments because of the, the state of the economy. If the property owner is behind on their mortgage payment um, and they suffer a property damage, can the mortgage company use the repair proceeds to make up for any past due payments? Well, that's an interesting question. That's and it's it's very difficult to answer with an unequivocal. This is always what happens. Um, but but it's going to depend depend on on various factors. In that you know who is our named insured? Is the mortgage company a named insured on the policy? Was this policy a force place policy? Uh, because the homeowner was not um, paying their insurance. And if it was, you know, the mortgage company may be a primary insured on there, in which case there, there's no question about it that the, 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 whole, that the mortgage company can, can, can keep those monies if they're behind on their mortgage payment because the, the mortgage company has an interest in that property. And in that particular case where it's a forced place policy, their interest might actually be uh, stronger than the homeowner's. But it, that's very difficult to give just a just a blanket answer to, because 
you know, it makes a difference um, what type of policy is, what type of policy it is, and um, specifically what it's covering, and you know who's the who's the named insureds on the policy. But as, as a general answer, I would say, you know, if they are behind on their their mortgage payment, the um, in you know it, it falls under a coverage A um, damage to the property to the structure itself. Then the mortgage company does have an interest in that money, and if if their name's on the check, in, in many cases, I would say yes, the mortgage company probably has enough of an interest in that those monies um, to to keep them. And I know the contractor goes, well, what what was I supposed to do? I would say be proactive. You know, talk to talk to your client, the the homeowner. And find out what their status is. You know, are you behind on your mortgages? It could be a little checkbox you put on your your contract. Are you are you current on your mortgage payment? Um, if not, how far behind are you? Because that's got to be something that you factor in um, when you decide whether you're going to do the work or not. I see, Cliff. No, it's probably getting close to roundup, Jim. Yeah, let's do that. Let's go to roundup. What do you think, Jess? Can you push a button? <laughs> it went away on us, Cliff. Hey, let's uh, let's get Doctor Weil on here. Hello, Dieter. Hello there. Good afternoon. I hope afternoon. my telephone will, the battery will last long enough, and I can always switch. No big deal. All right. Anyway. I'm sitting here with my mouth open. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? I don't believe what I heard. You know, I was in business transactions in Germany, um, in Sweden, in France, in China, uh, in the United States, in the Philippines, in Japan, and in Hong Kong when it was Hong Kong and not China. And I... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I, everybody, everybody all over the world, they need to make, and they do make a profit. Yep. Now, some of them may make more than others, but anyway, that somebody, and uh, uh, um, Joe mentioned that, and Paul mentioned that, you know, it's almost to the point where somebody says, hey, you can't charge that much. Or somebody comes and says, hey, I charge X amount of dollars for an hour when I'm working, so that, that's too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, I also know, and uh, I had friends, they were in the automotive business, and they did repairs. And uh, interestingly, and I don't think that is right, but apparently this is done all over the country. Oh, this is an insurance claim. Make it a little bit higher. Yeah. Yeah. And on the other hand, and I said that before, insurance companies are not your friends. They are your enemies. They stab you in the back the minute they can. I just opened an envelope. My policy for my car insurance came in. <laughs> but anyway, 
yeah, uh, a couple of years ago, somebody bumped uh, into me basically at a, at a stoplight. And uh, I mean, the damage was minimal. The whole thing happened at 0.5 miles an hour or something like that. And I called my insurance company and said the guy ran into me. As it turned out, that was my fault that he ran into my back. But uh, I didn't argue that one for too long. <laughs> and uh, they said, OK, take it over to our garage. That was the garage with which the insurance company, doesn't matter which insurance company it is, and I don't mention any names said, go over to this garage, and uh, I'm, I'm uh, making up the numbers, but we are in the ballpark. They said, okay, that will cost you $1,000. I knew another guy who works for one, and he saw my car, and I said, 1000 bucks? are you out of your mind? We can do a perfect job on that one for 250 So, And they did it, and I said, hey, and they said, we can do that tomorrow. The other one, I had to drive it over. They took care of it. And uh, I called my insurance company and said, hey, it's all taken care of. And um, they said, who did it? And I said, well, somebody did it over here for $250. You wanted 1000 Actually, it was more than 1000 And the 250 is correct. And I said, I have a $500 deductible. You owe me 250 bucks." <laughs> well, I guess uh, that's the next day the check was in the mail. Ha, ha, ha. So they said, hey, that's, that's your problem. I saved the money. They didn't even say thank you. Wow. Interesting. So as I said, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here, and I said, I can't believe that somebody can, can legislate how much money you can make. It's unbelievable. It really is. It really is. Uh, Paul, any, any comment on that? Or do, Cliff? Well, I, I've, got, I've got one, but you know, we'll let Paul go first. No, I mean no. You, I would just I would just say to the to the to the good doctor that um, you know that that happens all too commonly. I mean, as far as you know, the insurance company is undercutting you, and and, and again, that's why I say it's it's, it's so important to have a, a law firm or a lawyer that you could call and just say, hey, this is what's going on, and you know, is this right? Is this are they allowed to do this? And have somebody uh, that you could get some guidance from. And like I said, most lawyers will talk to you for free. Uh, we certainly will at Cohen Batisti, and, and we're happy to talk to anybody about their claims. And even if you uh, have to write well, a letter, it's not all that much, is it? I'm sorry? Even if you have to write a letter and, you know, give them, at least let them know they have contacted an attorney, it's not all that expensive, is it? No, I mean, again, in Florida, you know, with with Florida Statute 627-428, it's not it's probably not going to cost you anything at all. I don't know, you know, what attorneys charge in other states, but, you know, I can't imagine that it's going to be very much, you know, what, what especially if it's something that could be prepared in a form letter. that they. Oh, yeah, I just was going to say, you have a form letter, it's on your computer, you change the date and the name, and that, bang, you're done, yeah. Right, right. yeah, so, I mean, I can't imagine it costs very much, but uh, just as there are some unscrupulous contractors in the world, I'm sure there's some. I, I know for a fact there are some unscrupulous <laughs> attorneys. Oh, no doubt about it. I know some too. <laughs> yeah, Cliff, do you have any final questions? Uh, I, I do. Uh, one of the things that I saw on your firm's website was um, advice to contractors in the event that proceeds from an insurance claim are held 
hostage. Uh, you've got some ideas for rescuing this or preventing it from happening, and I think you know that we do get a lot of restoration people who listen. And you know, if you could just give us a tip on that, I'm sure they'd greatly appreciate it. Yeah, I, um, it, and it depends on who's holding the the, the check, quote unquote, hostage. In, in Florida, we got uh, where we have a what's called a civil theft um, um, statute that says essentially that. If somebody's holding those proceeds and your name's on the check and, and they shouldn't be holding those, there is a claim or a cause of action that you could bring against whoever's holding those funds in, in the case of a, a mortgage company or an insurance company who, um, or even a homeowner that, that um, you're rightfully owed money from, i.e. that your payments have been made and your name's on the check. There is a claim for, like I said, civil theft, a specific statute on point that um, allows us to bring a claim for that. So, you know, they pay your full amount. Um, you know, you don't have a breach of contract claim, but you may have a civil theft claim if they're holding those funds. All right. Well, I'd like to finish it up, Paul, and just ask if there's anything you'd like to add and if you could give the uh, listeners the uh, website and contact information for the firm you work with. Sure, sure. Uh, first, I'd like to thank you guys. Thank the listeners for your time. Um, uh, we, we, we certainly appreciate it. Um, my my name again is Paul Zenowitz. Um, I could be reached at p zenowitz z e n i e w i c z at cohen c o h e n batisti b a t t i s t i dot com. The website is cohenbatisti dot com. Um, and you know most most of the attorneys here are, are happy to talk to anybody if if you have questions or concerns. Um, and, and, and like I said, my or my my phone number, or the phone number at the firm is four zero seven four seven eight four eight seven eight. But like I said, I'd just like to to thank Joe and Z Man for having us on, and um, you know we we sincerely appreciate it, and we we sincerely appreciate your time, and we sincerely appreciate the time of the um, the listeners and all the podcast listeners who will be listening to this uh, later. Great. Cool. Well, thank. I want to thank Paul Zenowitz for joining us. Uh, Cliff, any final words? No, I think he did a great job. I'm glad that we had him. And, uh, you know, restoration contractors, it's a tough business, and uh, they, they, they need all the help that they can get, and we appreciate your advocacy. Absolutely. Uh, I also want to mention next week's guest is going to be Dina Dwyer Owens. She's an entrepreneur and a franchising expert, and as I understand, it was on Undercover Boss, Cliff. So, uh, yep, she was. It was it was a good show, and uh, you know I knew her father, and, and I know her brother and sister, and I think she's going to be a fabulous interview. So I'm really looking forward to that one. All right. Well, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest, Attorney Paul Zenowitz. Of course, I want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, uh, Dr. Dietrich Weil, for joining us as always uh, at the controls. Jessica Lawson, good job went well thank you and of course our growing group of loyal listeners please come back and join us next week for the next episode of iaq radio i'll be over at 10 you told me time and again but so late i'm waiting around and then